0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and what it teaches us about who He is. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of our Easter weekend. We have a ton going on this weekend. A Good Friday service on Friday at 7pm, an Easter egg hunt on Saturday afternoon, And, of course, a Sunday service where we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I love our Easter service. It is a really cool blend of modern and ancient, kind of traditional but contemporary at the same time. We will be baptizing people. We will celebrate through song and sermon and also decorating an old ugly cross. And the service will be followed by a catered brunch. It's going to be awesome. And so I hope you'll join us this coming weekend. You can find all of the information that you will need about these events by going to wilsonville.church Easter. That's wilsonville.church Easter. I hope to see you this weekend. Until then, I hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I just want to start this morning by saying that I'm a fan of the Trailblazers, and I've been a fan of the Trailblazers for a long time. Yeah, today is the start of the playoffs. I'm very excited. I'm only going to preach like five minutes so that we can get out and be on time. You're welcome. We'll be out of here in a hurry. But seriously, if you want to pick up chairs today, that would be very helpful to all of us. I've been a Blazer fan for a long time. As you can see, I've had this since I was a kid uh, and the Blazers being a fan of them there are there are really bad moments of of blazer fandom but i overall did I get an amen on that um but but it's produced some of the some of the this is gonna just i shouldn't say this as a pastor probably but some of the greatest moments of my entire life have been centered around the blazers uh I mean, even ones that didn't pan out, I remember when I found out that we had had drawn the little ping pong ball and got the first pick in the draft, and I I took my Blazer shirt and I taped Greg Oden's name on the back of my shirt, which I should have k- taped Kevin Durant's name on the back of my shirt, but I was so excited. I spent the day calling people, talking about how many championships we were going to win. Maybe I'm not a smart Blazer fan, but nonetheless a fan, and then, and then, oh, just such a glorious moment. It makes me so happy to talk about it. It's Palm Sunday, so it seems appropriate to be happy. Um, I, I was watching uh, the Brandon Roy comeback game against the Dallas Mavericks, and we go into the fourth quarter, if you're not a Blazer person, a sports fan, we go into the fourth quarter down something like 20 points. It's in the playoffs. We're down in the series. Brandon Roy had had arthroscopic knee surgery just, like, days before. I mean, it might have been weeks, but it wasn't even a month before. And, and he was a shell of himself, and he comes in in the fourth quarter, and he, like, just can't miss. It's unbelievable. And I'm with this friend of mine named Emil. We're in their home. And Emil and I were great friends, but we kind of have a friendship where we just make fun of each other. You know, we're like middle school boys when we're together, talk trash, you know, say whatever. And and I'm telling you, it was organic, it was real. We were jumping up and holding each other like this, like over and over for minutes. We're jumping like this after we won that game. An incredible moment. And then I, I just I, I don't like to go a year without including this story uh, in in a sermon. Uh, when Brandon Roy hit his shot, if you don't remember that, you're probably from California, and you'll become a bandwagon fan in the next few days. But um, but when Brandon, I mean, so I was at the game when Brandon Roy hit the most miraculous shot in history. Uh, it was my brother-in-law, Matt, I just was reminded of this. It was his graduation from his master's degree, and my cousin Rich called my uncle and I and said, we can't go tonight to this playoff game, game six of the 2014 Uh, playoffs against the Rockets, and and I'm like, oh, that's bad, like, I really don't want to go to Matt's graduation, (laughs) Um, I want to go to this game, and so I called Matt kind of sheepishly, and it's like, I got tickets to the game tonight. Are you going to hate me? And, and thankfully, he's a Blazer fan like me, and he's like, dude, I would skip my graduation in Harvey. <laughs> like, if I, if you give me the tickets, you could just walk up there, and when they say Matt, just walk across the stage. It'll be fine. And and so we went, my uncle and I, and, and I don't know if you remember the game, but it was tied. We were feeling good, and then there was this missed shot, and then Chandler Parsons kind of throws in this backwards Thing. It was kind of a reverse lane, kind of a lucky shot, and we're down two. And the air—I mean, all twenty thousand of us—it's like just just goes out of the building. 0. .9 seconds. Damian Lillard comes off the pick, starts clapping his hands. He hits this shot, and and I've and I'm not joking when I say this. this Sermon is not about heaven. That's not where this is going. But uh, I now know what it will feel like when I get to heaven uh, because because of the reaction of the people. I mean, it. You, I'm sorry you weren't there. You were, Some of you were at a graduation for Matt. That was horrible decision. But um, it, it was like nothing I've ever experienced. My uncle, who you know, who's in the back here, some of you know, he's a pretty calm, you know, mild-mannered guy. And I've, I've said this in a sermon before. For for like 10 minutes straight, he's making this noise. I don't know what it was exactly, but like, Woo! 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 I mean, just minutes of this. And, and we came out, and, and people were just going Nuts, and I tell you all of that because I need your help picking up chairs today, uh, so we can get to the game in time and go watch the game. But also because being a fan of something is is a pretty awesome experience. Like it's it's fun to watch and to cheer and to celebrate the good and be able to boo people when they're bad, you know. And uh, it, it's 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 good. But being a player is vastly a different experience, I think we all kind of know that if you've ever even done little league, you know uh the difference or played basketball when you were a kid or whatever you you know the difference uh I, I'll just tell you like I played. Five basketball games, Friday to s- Friday night, Saturday morning in a tournament, 40-minute uh, games. Uh, it was pretty high-level competition, and I can barely stand up here today because I'm so sore. Like, the investment just physically between being a player and being a fan is totally different. But even more than that, like, like when Yusuf Nurkic got hurt recently, I don't know if you saw that, he broke his leg. It's really uh, a pastor in our town is the chaplain for the Blazers and I was talking to him about what it felt like and And and, you know for us as fans we can just kind of shut it off and go there goes the season That was the first text I got after it happened and and the players still go out there And they still have to play and they still have to deal with it And they still have to work hard and not let fans down and earn their paychecks and all of that Uh, It's a totally different experience and uh, As we celebrate Palm Sunday, let me turn a big corner uh we're going to look at this story of Jesus that's already been alluded to entering into Jerusalem where he will die. He'll kind of go in and out of Jerusalem during the last week of his life. But it's the city in which he's going to die, and he's coming in to kind of look at the temple and to assess things. And, and he makes this entrance into Jerusalem, and we'll read the story in a minute. But the entrance is one where, where there's, a lot, there's a lot of fans chanting for him, celebrating him, excited about him. And that's what the palm branches represent, this fandom. But here's the reality. Most of them were not really on Jesus' team. And and today we're going to look, I think, in the story of Palm Sunday in the book of Matthew. We're going to look at what differentiates somebody from being a fan of Jesus and on the the team with Jesus. It's interesting to me, 75% of Americans identify themselves as christians it's pretty weird to me because it seems like 75 percent of the people i know at least if you just look at facebook are kind of anti-christianity and so there's something amiss in what we think of when we talk about being a christian and what It actually means to be a Christian, and I think that that a high percentage, I don't have any good data, but if you just look at the people around me anyway, a high percentage of that 75% that claim to be Christians are simply fans of the idea of Jesus. They like to celebrate Jesus. Maybe they show up on Easter to celebrate Jesus, but they're not really, they're not really on his team. Now, let me set up this Palm Sunday story. I just think it's interesting. So Jesus is on his way into jerusalem and it's the city in which he's die, who will he will die as i said earlier and last week we talked about how he had this stop in jericho we finished a, another sermon series with him being in jericho and now he's he's traveling and he's moving towards jerusalem he's not very many miles away uh, and he probably spends a night or two in a city called bethany where they would have celebrated the sabbath from sundown uh, to sundown and then and then jesus wakes up on sunday morning and he makes this march into Jerusalem. But if you were here for the last series, you kind of know what's been taking place in the life of Jesus moving towards this final week. I mean, he's he's going around the Jewish world healing people. And he's making a lot of fans. A lot of people are becoming Jesus fans as he heals their sick and feeds them and helps them and shows them compassion that no other religious leader had shown them. I mean, a lot of people have become Jesus fans. Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem with all of them. Chanting in Matthew 21, 1 through 3, we read, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you at once, and you will find a donkey there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So Jesus is coming down off this mountain, right? And and, and he's just seemingly with, like, his main followers and friends, the ones that we call the disciples And and Jesus gives them pretty specific instructions to go and get these donkeys. And and it's interesting because there's this thing called the messianic secret. That's what theologians call it, where Jesus, because he knows that he has a ministry to do before he dies, has been really kind of tight-knit about about who he is and why he's come and so like when he casts out demons he's like hey demon don't don't tell people who I am and and when he heals people he'll say like hey could you could you just keep it quiet you know but all of a sudden as he approaches Jerusalem he makes this march into the city where he is going to die Jesus gives these very specific instructions and what's so interesting about them is that he In giving these instructions is saying, I'm about, I'm about to publicly and loudly declare exactly who I am and what I am about. I saw one author that called this an active parable of symbolic self-disclosure. Little wordy, but I think it's a good idea—an active parable of symbolic self-disclosure. He's getting this donkey to ride into Jerusalem to declare some things about himself, some things that we'll look at in just a minute. But it's interesting here. This just the single word. He says, "Tell them that the Lord needs it." Like, hey, you're going to grab this donkey, and if you, if you grab it off the guy's porch, and he's like, hey, you're, you're stealing my donkey, then, then you need to just say, hey, the Lord needs it, and then he's going to let you have it. That's kind of the idea. And this word Lord is, is really interesting in the Bible and the way that it develops, because I don't know if you know this, but the same Greek word that translates Lord translates sir And so in a lot of ways, it was just a word for respect. It's a word that slaves would have used for their masters. It's a word that you would have said to your teachers or your pastors or whatever. But it seems like throughout the ministry of Jesus, the word kind of slowly develops to mean Something more like we mean when we say it or sing it today. Like Jesus is greater than. Jesus is to be obeyed. Jesus is not just a man. And here it might be double entendre. Like Jesus is saying, hey, tell him, you know, I need it, sir needs it. But also he's given us this really important glimpse into what I think separates somebody between, separates those who are fans and, and those who are on Jesus' team. Because that word Lord over time is... As the church starts, they begin to use it to talk about Jesus as God on earth and Jesus as Savior and Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. You've heard that before. And then as the baton is kind of passed in Christian leadership to Paul around the Roman world, Paul really uses that word to to talk about Jesus, not in a human way, not like you would say it to your, your teacher or your dad or whoever, anybody in the South, you know, not in that way. Like, I don't know, I'm taking shots at the region of our country today the regions but but you would use it to talk about Jesus as the one who is to be served and worshiped and here Jesus using it for himself I think begins to say hey there is a separation here between those that look at me as some guy that can be celebrated and those who look at me as Lord I would just pose the question like this. Do you look at Jesus as, as Lord with a lowercase L or with a capital L? And, and I think that that single question in large part will determine whether you're a fan or you're on, on Jesus' team. But, but how you answer that question is really dependent on the rest of this story and how you understand the rest of this story. And if you if you view the Palm Sunday story like the first century people, the majority of first century people who witnessed it viewed it because they did not view it correctly. And this is what verses 4 and 5 say. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the full of a donkey. This is an old testament uh, prophecy, Zechariah 9 9, if you're curious, and and it's so interesting because on first glance, if you've read it a hundred times even, if, if you don't really pause to think about it, you just go, Oh, Jesus fulfilled prophecy, which is important in and of itself. Like this is incredible, right? The things that were written down Hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus walked to the earth, he, he fulfilled them and he did them. Some intentionally, like saying, go get a donkey, and some just by the nature of who he was. I mean, the Old Testament tells us that Jesus will be from three different cities, and it's like, how is that possible that a guy will be known to be from three different places? But we see it. If you read the birth story at the beginning of the book of Matthew, you see that Jesus is from these three different places. And it all kind of makes sense. But here, Jesus is intentionally saying, I- I'm fulfilling a prophecy. And this prophecy was widely accepted, I think still is in some ways, widely accepted as being a messianic prophecy. That means a prophecy about a king who would come in the line of David for the Jewish people and would set things right for the Jewish people. At this church, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. I've done a whole sermon series on Jesus is the Messiah and what that means. But it's interesting that the Jews in this moment should have seen and and did see in some ways that Jesus is saying, I'm that one. I'm the one that you've looked forward to. I'm the one that the religious leaders are telling you is about to come. I'm the one that people prayed for. I'm the one that you wanted. I am the one who is going to make things right for you. They would have been all excited about this. It's going to create a bunch of fans. Hey, this is cool. It's the one we've wanted. I mean, we're the chosen generation. Everybody likes to be the chosen generation. I mean, all these other suckers who died before he got here, I'm still alive. I get to see the Messiah. I know the Messiah's name. Pretty cool. Riding in on this donkey, though, also, if you just stop and think about it and you kind of look at the Old Testament background, it shows that he's king. The Jews expected a king. He's Messiah and he's king. They would have liked this. He was in the line of David. This is the guy. This is going to create more fans. He is our king. But it's the other stuff that they don't grasp. Like riding in on a donkey shows that he's gentle. Literally says that in the verse. He rides in on a donkey. He's gentle. They expected a king in the line of David that was not gentle. If you go back and you read about David, and they saw this messianic figure probably a lot like they would have thought of David. If you go back and you look at the life of David, the guy was not gentle. He was a good man. He was a man after God's own heart, but you would never describe him as as gentle. I mean, the guy killed... S- Tens of thousands. I mean, that's what it tells us. He killed tens of thousands. He had so much blood on his hands from war and battle. I should point that out, not because he was sadistic or whatever. But he had so much blood on his hands that God says, hey, you can't build my temple. I love you and all of that, but you can't build my temple. Your son needs to do it. And so... What they expect when they expect this Messiah king is somebody who's going to come in and he's going to start an uprising and he's going to throw out the Romans because he's stronger and he's better at battle and he's smarter and he's got his mighty men just like David had his. But he's gentle. Not only that, he's peaceful. Donkeys were written by rulers in times of peace. There's actually Old Testament passages about that. It's pretty clear that Jesus is showing, hey, I'm your Messiah King, but I didn't come here to overthrow the Romans. This isn't about another battle. I've come for peace. He comes in humility. Just the fact that he's riding on a donkey instead of a horse is is very different than... The kings that they would have thought about, that they would have known, especially the Roman kings who would have marched into their towns. They would have come in on the biggest, nicest, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but white horse, you know, with armor on it. And it would have been perfectly brushed, and and it would have been a show. And Jesus is making a declaration. He's not putting on a show. There's a big difference. He's saying, I'm the Messiah king but I am, I am not that kind of king. I am peaceful and gentle and pure. Uh, the fact that he came in on the full of a donkey... Is a symbol of purity and we believe that jesus never sinned, which makes what we'll celebrate on friday This coming friday good friday. It makes it make so much sense like it makes it possible that jesus never Broke the rules the laws the ways of god And so he was able to die for those of us all of us who have broken the rules and the laws and the ways of god He's pure and He's not coming To save them through a military conquest here's what it all points to it all points to this that Jesus is Lord it points to the meaning of what I think we mean when we say Lord in Christian circles today he is saying I am yes I am your king but I am also your savior I am your king and I am your savior that's what the Palm Sunday story is all about Jesus is our king and Jesus is our savior he is our Lord and we should view him that way. And here's what happens. The people, they, they don't see that. They, they kind of get the Messiah stuff, they get the King stuff, and and he creates a bunch of fans. And remember, there's there, there's a lot of people around him at this point. But listen to verses six through nine. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and cold and placed the cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shou- shouted, "Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of." The Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. The large crowd is kind of a a combination. Uh, It's a mixed crowd, and I'll talk about that in a second, but it's a combination of people who are moving towards Jerusalem for Passover as Jesus is. And just kind of like, well, if we're going anyway, we might as well go, well go with the rock star, right? I mean, we might as well go with the guy who's been healing people. It's a combination of people like the, the blind guys that we talked about a few weeks ago who have been healed by Jesus and are like, I'm going with you. There's his disciples in this crowd, but there's also a group of people who are coming out of Jerusalem, who live in Jerusalem, to greet those who are coming from Passover, for Passover, and also probably just curious, what's the big crowd about What's going on with this guy named Jesus? Today's the final day of the Masters. I'm sorry if you're not a sports person. It's like a really good sports day. Uh, But I was thinking about how crowds will just follow their favorite guy around in the Masters. That's one way to, you can either, this is how you watch golf. You either park yourself at a hole and watch everybody that comes by, or you walk a lot because you follow You follow somebody else if you ever watched a golf tournament on TV and Tiger Woods is in it You'll see that a lot more people are following him around and here as as they enter into Jerusalem for Passover that a lot of people who just want to follow Jesus around to see what's going to happen next And that's the situation and there's there's some really interesting things that happen like they're chanting Hosanna And this was originally a word That It was a cry for salvation, like, God, we need your salvation. But over time, it had just become a cry of praise, like, hey, we need salvation, and God, you are the one who brings salvation. Salvation has come is what it comes to mean. And this is because the crowd's words are coming from Psalm 118. It's a passage that's recited at three major Jewish festivals, Passover, dedication, and one that, the other one we celebrate here, Sukkot, and we actually said this out loud. If you were out on our property last year celebrating Sukkot with us, then, then you recited this passage, Psalm 118. If you weren't out there, then you're going, what's Sukkot? Uh, but come out this year in the fall. They say, son of David. They're recognizing that he is a king. Maybe not the king that they want And they even see that he comes In the name of the Lord Like this guy is sent in some way This is the one God is giving us To set things right And so they chant And so they lay their cloaks down As a symbolic recognition Of of kind of him Being king and messiah Uh, The branches seem to point To victory they would have ripped him off The trees or whatever and and their sign of victory in first Maccabees thirteen fifty one it's the part that, that as we as uh, Protestant, non-Catholic Christians don't think should be in the Bible. But if you ever looked at the Catholic Bible, there's this middle section, which contains really important and interesting history. And one of those books is called First Maccabees. And in 1351, after, after they've had a military win, it says, on the 23rd day of the second month in the year 171, there was a great celebration in the city because this terrible threat to the security of Israel had come to an end. Simon and his men entered the fort, singing hymns of praise and thanksgiving while carrying palm branches and playing harps, cymbals, and lyres. Palm branches, like, we win. The Messiah is here, and we are going to be victorious. He's gonna hit the shot. He's gonna make the winning run. I mean, he is going to win it for us that's what they're thinking i mean this is gonna be a party man when those romans are all out of here and and we're successful and we win this is gonna be i mean there's gonna be people going woo woo over and over you know this is gonna be absolutely incredible they embrace jesus some ways well as fans they embrace jesus as fans even says in John 12, 16, at first the disciples did not understand all of this. Only after he was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that that these things had been done to him. Like, they kind of get it. They're excited about it. It's creating buzz. It's creating fans. But they don't fully get it. Maybe you've heard this in a Palm Sunday before, but just five days later, Same people, same crowd. You know what they're going to be chanting at Jesus? Crucify him. Matthew 27, 23, they shouted all the louder, crucify him. You go like, what happened? The simple answer is, the simple answer is, they were just fans. They weren't on his team. Some of them were. And they weren't very good teammates to Jesus in the end. They ran, they fled, they didn't, they denied knowing him and all that. But they were on his team quite clearly. They're the ones that are the disciples that started the first church. They understood it all after the resurrection. But some of the people simply were just excited by the moment and by what they thought Jesus could give them, by their own personal expectations being fulfilled. It all comes down to this. They didn't answer this single question correctly. Who is Jesus uh, the difference between a fan and a teammate is that a fan answers who is Jesus one way and a teammate answers it in another way listen to, to Matthew 21 10 through 11 when Jesus entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred and asked who is this the crowds answered, the crowds the same crowds this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee It's nice. It's a pretty good thing to be. i like to be known as a prophet from Wilsonville. It'd be fun. It's respectful. It's kind of accurate. It was prophetic in many ways. But it's not the right answer. It's just not the right answer. The crowds are out there being fans of Jesus, saying, I think he's going to fix it. I think he's going to hit the game-winning home run. Everything's going to be great for us. But when the crowds are asked, who is it? Do they say, this is the Lord, our Savior and King? So this is a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. It's The same thing the crowds have been saying forever. They just weren't as excited about it before. I mean, Jesus had a conversation with disciples, his disciples before this. Like, who do people say hey, I am? And like a prophet, you know. I'd be like reincarnate Elijah, And then he says to his disciples, his teammates, the guys that will be on his side, even though they'll fail him, he says, who do you say I am? And they're like, you're Christ, the son of the living God. That's way bigger than some prophet. I think that that the difference between being a fan and a teammate of Jesus is that we rightly declare that he is Lord. He is Lord. He is King and Savior of all. The crowd is, I mean, they're, they're, they're pumped, man. They're stirred. That, that word is too weak, I read. It, it, it should be more like, a better translation would be like, wild with excitement. It's the same word used for the earthquake that happens at Jesus' death in Matthew 27, 51. I don't know how they got stirred from an earthquake. It seems like bigger than that, right? Like, I do not put those things on par. Although I've slept through two earthquakes here in Oregon, so maybe it works. Same thing happened when Jesus was born in Matthew 2-3 when King Herod heard that this, talking about Jesus' birth and him being a king. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Here's, here's what I'm amazed by and what I think is so important about this story. So many people seem to ignore the claims of Christianity. They are fans of Jesus. Yeah, I like him seem like a good guy. That's cool But they are not on jesus team and they seem to just blatantly ignore the things that he said and that the bible said after him Let me just give you one that people just just dismiss and i'm just amazed by this Maybe people don't know it, but even when people hear it. They don't seem like it's a big deal I mean jesus said nobody can be saved eternally apart from me this is not the kind of thing you're a fan of. This is the kind of thing you get on board or you you don't. Like, that's not a thing you sh- in fact, if you're not a Christian, I don't, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior and King, then I don't really think you should be a fan because he's walking around going, you're going to hell without me. I like to, woo. <laughs> I mean, it's not that awesome, right? We don't love telling people that. It's hard for us even to share the good news of the gospel with people, let alone the bad news. Who is this? It means more than just like, who's this guy? It means like, what is the deal with this person? Why is he being celebrated? Why is there so much excitement about him? What should I believe about him? And the masses are like, yeah, prophet, good dude. It's not dissimilar than that 75% of Americans that I talked about today. I'm sure if you walked up to a person that's like, hey, not like, what do you think about Jesus? Because I think a lot of Christians in America have the right answers. But like in your heart of hearts, when nobody is looking, what do you really believe about Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? You get like, like, he was a nice guy that loved people. That's kind of right pretty good I'd also like to be known as a nice guy who loves people but it's not the right answer just be a fan if that's how you answer that question I mean who do you say he is and people will be like well I think he was a prophet too a guy that had extra special knowledge from above I even maybe think he could do some crazy miracle stuff a lot of people a lot of people Jesus was a great teacher." was an awesome teacher man I mean some of those things have lasted through the years it's like so many great stories are just stolen from the Bible and and the things we hear out of Jesus mouth and uh, you read any good leadership books you might as well have just looked at the life of Jesus I mean he was a great teacher It's not the right answer people see him as a fixer of their problems I I pray to Jesus when I need help, and and I just hope that he'll deal with it and help me, and I get help from Jesus, and I I even get encouragement from Jesus, and I like reading some of his words when I'm in a bad mood, like the part about not worrying and how to deal with that and and how much he loves me and stuff like that. I like, I, I think Jesus is just somebody who helps me. A lot of people just be like, I don't know, some guy that lived. Some dude. And I'll tell you, you might be a great fan of Jesus. You might be a great fan of Jesus with any of those answers. We like good teachers. We like nice people. We like guys that did incredible things for the earth that changed history for the better. Much of what we love about our Western culture comes out of the teachings of Jesus. We're going to look at a story next week about how, how women find out that Jesus has risen from the dead first. He elevated the place of women more than any other person in history. That's something to be a fan about. But you're not going to be a follower. You're not going to be a real teammate of Jesus until you actually and deeply and spiritually, not just mentally, declare him to be the Lord who is the king and savior of all who place their faith in him. Those crowds loved The idea of Jesus they celebrated Jesus but they didn't follow him and it's because they answered the question wrong who do you say he is who is he who's Jesus man I hope that you would be a person who would honestly ask yourself what you believe about Jesus like who do you who do you say that Jesus is and some of you, and I love when people get to this point, because that's 75, there's no, I, man, I probably shouldn't just say this out loud, but I just, there's no way 75% of Americans are Jesus followers. It's, it's no chance, no chance. I don't, I, I mean, they, they could say that, you could say anything you want, right? I could say I'm a Thunder fan, but I would be a liar. Like, that doesn't matter. But, but 75% of people are not following Jesus. They might be fans. And, and I love when people get to the point where, where they break down this wall that maybe came because they grew up in a Christian home, because they liked the idea of church, because they've been a fan of Jesus, and they go, "I don't really see Him as my King and Savior," because you're not gonna you're not gonna give Him your life until you realize you haven't given Him your life. That you're just a fan and not a follower. And so I would hope that some of you this morning would would just really and deeply look inside and go. How do I view Jesus? What does my life say about how I view Jesus? Do I think he's a nice guy? Do I think he's cool? Do I think he's a a, a good teacher, a great religious leader, a man who changed history for the better? Or do I really embrace him as my Savior who died for my sins so that I might be forgiven and live eternally in heaven with God above? and my king who I should obey, who I should do my best to serve with every minute and every action and every thought. Because until you really declare him to be savior and king, like really, you'll just be a fan, and you'll probably be a fair weather fan at that. Ah, it's Easter. It's a good day to put on a nice outfit. I'll show up. Hanging out with Christian friends. I'll talk. About Jesus well but when I'm with non-Christians people that don't love Jesus eh, I won't talk about him at all and if I do I'll act like I'm nominally in it will be like the crowd Not like his disciples Then the rest of us I think it just it's an it's like an important thing even if you're a Christian I think it's like really a good question to keep coming back to like how do I really how am I viewing Jesus? Because we can, just, we can just miss, I think, at, at certain times in our life. And, and maybe you just aren't living with a level of conviction about Jesus being Savior and King. You believe it. You're a Christian. You've given your life to Jesus. There's fruit that demonstrates you've given your life to Jesus. But you know it's just not quite there. Here, here's my encouragement. Real, like, homework. I would encourage all of you to go home. Even a Christian, not a Christian, go home. And take out a piece of paper and a pen and, and, and just start writing down. Who do I say Jesus is? Like if somebody came up to me and said, who is Jesus? Where would I start? And what does my life reflect about who I say Jesus is? What, what does my behavior dictate about who I say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? The thing that will determine if you're just a fan or you're truly on the team, a follower, working for him, serving him, playing with him, is how you answer who is Jesus. And I hope that we would all answer it by declaring him to be our Lord who is Savior and King. Let me pray that that will happen. Lord Jesus, I just ask that anybody here that hasn't given their life to you, that, that it's you know kind of a a palm branch waving person that likes the idea of you, that thinks you have some stuff to offer, that uh, that thinks you're cool, God, even um, likes you, Lord, loves you, whatever. But but hasn't truly given their life to you because they haven't recognized you, God, to be Savior and King. I pray, God, that that this morning would be the day where they kind of tear down the walls that uh, we can put up, where we pretend, especially when we're in a church and Christian circles, they, they tear down that wall and they say, Jesus, I haven't given my life to you, and today I'm choosing to do that because, because you are Savior and Lord God. And uh, I'm, I'm, God, I've come to a place, I hope my words help, but Lord, it's going to be your spirit, your power that moves people to make that declaration declaring you as lord and so i pray that you would do that this morning and whatever fights against them whatever distractions are in their heads whatever reasons they have uh, to not give their lives to you i pray that you would overcome those lord and you would speak so strongly to their souls that that they god would uh, would give themselves to you and i pray for those of us who are christians god i just ask that that every day we would live as though you are not as though you are. We would live because you are, God, Savior and King. God, we would make every decision for you, recognizing your authority and your power over us. And and God, uh, our feelings even would be driven by knowing that you sacrificed so much for us, Lord. I just pray that we would want nothing more than to serve you, God, because you're our Savior. And, And God, just change that in us, because I know, Lord, I can drift into... I don't know, viewing you as a friend or a, some guy that I ask for help from sometimes, Lord, and I don't want to be that, and I don't want our church to be that kind of uh, Christian, Lord. I don't want us to be fans. I want us to be uh, on your team, God, working hard uh, to accomplish your purposes to expand your kingdom. I pray that you would do that work, Lord. And